Hey everyone, new year, new drama. We kick off the year with a brand new hot topic all about Migos beefing with the truth. And then Steph kicks off year 19 of the Willennium with the Michael Jackson Saga Part 1. Stay tuned. What up, fam? What up, fam? Feels good, right? Woo, right? <laughs> Yeah, I know it, dude. I know it, And without further ado, we broadcast live from CA to we're, NY. We're, we're, we don't have practice. We're rusty. We're rusty. There you go. Rusty ass nail. That's the word. That's the word of the day is rusty. <laughs> um, like it's your like bra. <laughs> your car. You got a rusty ass bra? Yeah, hoes do. <laughs> I was telling Tiff I bought like um this see-through shirt yesterday and I thought like oh for when I go out or whatever you know mm-hmm. and then I was thinking oh I'll wear it in Vancouver when we all go out and Hoel was like you're gonna wear a fucking see-through shirt in Vancouver when it's like negative fucking yeah a hoe never gets cold yes that's what Tiff said man <laughs> <laughs> she's like it's okay Steph a hoe never gets cold I started dying <laughs> I that's funny that you say that because I was looking at a see-through shirt yesterday. And I was like, damn, I, I want this, but when would I ever wear this? Oh, there's, you will find a reason. <laughs> it was like a, it's like a bodysuit. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So the one I bought was like, it was at Macy's. Okay. So first I went to Ross and Ross is awesome. Cause yeah. I bought like five things for like 40 bucks. Oh yeah. But then I went to Macy's and it pissed me off because I liked two shirts. One was the see-through one and that shit was like 80 bucks. What? I know. And then I liked this Ralph Lauren button up, but for work, but it was 90 bucks. Ugh. And I was like, see, this is why I should only shop at Ross. <laughs> and the no, girl, you got to go the other way. Like, That's yeah. why. Yeah. Like start at, start Macy's. at Macy's and then go to Ross. No, you can't start at Macy's and then pretend that all this shit at Ross is good. <laughs> That's how I do it, dude. Then I'll the like gr- I'll, I'll like slowly make my way down the food chain, and then I'll be like, "Well, I gotta get this." Yeah. <laughs> Why well, the girl ringing me up was like, "Yup, see," and they be telling us to wear their brands, and I'm like, "Are you gonna pay me more?" Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Do they get a they get a stipend or something, right? For they get clothing? a discount, and yeah, I think they have to wear their clothing. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure their discount is solid too. I think. Remember, my cousin Charlie used to work at Nordstrom. I think. He oh used yeah. To get, I think he used to get a hella discount. That's a good-ass go job, too. I know. We need to go back to Nordstrom. <laughs> Shit. Immediately. Immediately. Hold on. I'm going to tweet that we back. <laughs> we back. We balling. I was looking at our Instagram all sad. Like, should I post something? Like, what should I do? What are you wearing tomorrow? Um, I have no idea. I haven't a even thought about shirt? it. <laughs> no, definitely not that. Fuck. I totally haven't even thought about it. Because it's like a winery, right? You don't want to be like. You don't want to be like, like fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a little I'll cold probably out there. i probably wear like slacks. Yeah, it's cold. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably do like blouse slacks combo. Blouse and slacks. <laughs> you are classy <laughs> as fuck. I got so many slacks, dude. Spend too much time at Macy's, dude. Forget what yeah. you where you came from. <laughs> 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 Never forget where you came from, bitch. <laughs> Ross. <laughs> what's what's the one that's even worse than Ross? Like Fajas Mervin. Paredes. Oh, Fajas oh, fa- Paredes. Fajas Paredes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. The one in Santa Ana on Fourth Street just closed down. 
Oh, what? Yeah, Santa Ana's getting hella gentrified, dude. That's yeah, why I went is. to that coffee shop and they were like, we oh, make yeah? our almond milk in-house. And I was like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Low-key, I heard that Whole Foods was testing this thing where you can go and like m- like pump your own <laughs> almond up, milk. Man. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever I sing, that's what I really mean. Like, I'm singing a song. I don't sing it if I don't mean it. Okay, so, um, you know what we've been forgetting to do lately? What? Fucking introduce introduce ourselves. Oh. What up? My name is Steph, a.k.a. Ross Queen. (laughs) (laughs) A.k.a. The Macy's Master. (laughs) Hey, yo, what up? My name is May. They call me Fallas Paredes on the street. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and together we the drama club aka the og oat milk Steph <laughs> <laughs> is making fun of me because i drink oat milk now <laughs> what the fuck is oat milk i don't know because you can't you can't milk an oat milk an oat that's what i'm saying <laughs> i got a nipple fuck it <laughs> yeah dude i like i remember when almond milk started being a thing my yeah. cousin rosa was like how do you milk an almond yeah <laughs> like all crazy you know but that i get like coconut milk like you could squeeze it, it i drink a lot of almond milk currently just because like i i would just rather that's like one animal product that i could easily cut out of my life and it's nothing you know what i mean i don't like, like milk and almond milk i actually like like the vanilla the vanilla one, one that's the one yeah. i drink yeah but it is like terrible for the environment Oh, like, it is? Yeah, like, it's like, you might as well drink milk, bitch. Like, oh, it is, oh. I might as well eat, like, three cows, basically. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I'll take that challenge. So that's why I started getting into um, oat milk, which is pretty good. I'm, I'm a fan. Fuck? All right. All right, well. Jury's still out on where that fucking milk comes from, but. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we were talking about it in the group chat with our homegirls and then our homegirl tip was like i want to incorporate more oats into my diet i was like what <laughs> dude he's so funny dude <laughs> uh... all right steph you got a hot topic i do have a hot topic okay all right so this is kind of late because this happened on december 16th but may didn't know about it and i don't think it got like that much play Okay. I was just hyped on it because I like Because hip-hop. of the players, yeah. Yeah, and, and we like hip-hop, so. Right. <clears throat> okay, so Migos was on the cover of XXL's 2018 winter issue. Okay. And they said that Migos is the biggest rap group ever to exist, and that Migos, no, the biggest group in the world to ever exist, rap group, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. this is because they can do individual, and they can go as a group. Um... I'm gonna let you finish that, <laughs> but they don't. They never heard of Wu Tang. Okay, or like literally anybody. Like, yeah. All right, go on. So after this dropped, Lazy Bone, who is a member of the rap crew Bone Thugs and Harmony, meet me at the crossroads. There you go. Stepped up on his Instagram and he posted a video of himself talking shit to Migos, specifically mm-hmm. to Offset because Offset was the one that said it. Oh, okay. Wait, which member of Bone Thugs? Lazy Bone? Lazy Bone. Not even the best member of... Uh, bone Thugs. Of bone Thugs. Low-key, <laughs> Busy Bone. Uh, busy Bone, busy bone for ride, life. baby? <laughs> um, so, he said, 
Bone Thugs is the best group. He basically, first he was like, you guys back the fuck up, first of all. Mm -hmm, What are you mm -hmm. talking about? Like, you guys don't give respect where respect is due. Then he said, Bone Thugs is the best group ever. We're talented. We have our own style. And then he said, and I'm not even really trying to say that. Like, I think there's so many people in the rap game that I give credit to. Um, have Migos never heard of Outkast? Have Migos never True. heard of the Beastie Boys? Have mm-hmm. Migos never heard of Wu Tang? Have Migos never heard of, like he just kept bringing all these rap crews? I like that response. Like, Me too. And he was yeah. like, "What the fuck are you guys talking about?" Like, you know. So then Offset got mad, and he, you know, came to his Instagram and he started saying like that Lazy Bones wash, like this old ass fool. And then he said, um. Are you ready to compare bank accounts? Because I'm ready to compare bank accounts right now. You know you don't even have like one mil or something like that. Okay. And Lazy Bone was quick to be like, see, this is what's wrong with you guys. Like, you think that has anything to do with talent? Like, no, I don't want to compare bank accounts. Let's have a rap battle right now. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and Offsets didn't say fucking shit. (laughs) Because uh, you can't really, you can't really compare like, with the stir frat. (laughs) With the butter, but a butt with the stir fry. Like, Rick Flair drip. Woo! <laughs> yeah, that is not Rick Flair drip. Go woo on a you, bitch. You versus crossroads. You cannot. You cannot battle with with the with an occasional woo and like yeah. a, no. That's not a thing. Yeah, Lazy Bone would fucking murder him. Yeah, R.I.P. Yes, it would be so awesome to see that. So then, you know, like they. They did what they did. Today I saw <laughs> I was looking this up because I wanted to talk to you about it. Uh-huh. Today I saw that uh Lazy Bone issued a diss track. Oh. I haven't heard it, but it's called something like Run Off Migos or some shit like that. All right, okay. I, that is something I will listen to, I think. Yeah, me too. Me too. Huh. It's funny though, like I mean, I think a lot of people do that when they're at the peak of their fame is they proclaim that they're the best ever. Like we saw Lil Wayne do that a lot. Jay-Z yeah. did that a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, But then like, what about like run DMC? Like what about the beastie boys? I don't feel like I've ever heard any of them ever make that proclamation. And they really like did do something for hip hop and made it grow. Well, I think that beastie boys, beastie boys know their fucking place and won't say that because they're white. Yeah, I know they they are run DMC about that. Run DMC and I, they vegan. They fucking yeah. <laughs> the show. If you don't think that fucking uh, Mike D is Mike like, D is up in his whole foods, <laughs> pumping his own almonds, you are fucked up. No, and Run DMC, I think that they do like they say like, oh, we're the godfathers of this shit, but. Yeah. They even they give like a lot of Credit. props to like yeah fucking everybody that came yeah. before them yeah exactly yeah the people fucking beatboxing and fucking nightclubs or whatever the fuck that shit started and what what's that one song that's like I said a hip hop a hip, <laughs> yeah a hip a hip hip hop <laughs> that shit reminds me of wedding singer when that old lady does it oh yeah yeah shout out to wedding singer <laughs> anyway so that was like the drama in the. Double XL magazine world, which I thought was interesting because Migos, sit the fuck down. Yeah, I know. What like, are you doing? But I mean, whatever. They're like, yeah. they're, like, who cares? They can say whatever they want, you know? Yeah, like, like, I get it. Their not... ego's huge right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, dude, props to you. I'm sure they're making hella money and I'm sure they're like, they are probably like at the peak of their fame. But do mm-hmm. I think that they're going to go down in history? Like, hell no. Yeah. Are, are we and- still going to be talking about Migos like 20 years from now? No, when some new ass rap group is saying they're the best ever. No. Right. Yeah. Are they going to have any sort of like defense to be like, no, you're not? No. Right. 
so then I was looking at their accolades because Migos actually their albums did go platinum and stuff. Mm-hmm. But so did Bone Thugs and Bone Thugs Crossroads like won so much shit. Yeah, I bet that they won Grammys that year. Mm -hmm. Like that song really like brought them over to like the mainstream and really showcased like Mm -hmm. a deeper sense of just like rapping for rap sake or whatever the fuck. And, you know, I was going to say that I was going to say that Bone Thugs did sort of invent or at least like bring to the mainstream a certain kind of rapping like that sort of like fast rapping rapping. Jay-Z did it too though yes but then I I was gonna say like oh at least you know they kind of innovated but then a lot of people are biting Migos style though so they they I guess they did sort of innovate innovate this weird style it's just not my cup of tea right exactly I think we might be like uh, aging ourselves yeah (laughs) no I know no I do like Ric Flair drip though yeah. <laughs> but do I think that shit is like <laughs> important? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just to me. Let drip go. <laughs> I love that video too. I haven't seen that video. Oh, our videos are videos still a thing? Fuck yeah, dude. I went to this ghetto bar in Pomona like two weeks ago with Hawal. Cause this fool was like, let's go to the there's this good brewery in, in downtown Pomona. And we went to go have a beer and then he was like, oh, let's go to like, there's a lot of like little clubs right there Mm -hmm. and shit. Like it gets kind of popping. So we started walking around and we walked to like this bar with a DJ or whatever. They were showing videos like on the wall while he was DJing. Yeah. It was pretty cool. And they were, they played that one, Ric Flair Drip. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like music videos. Yeah. I just like. You know, you used to come home and watch music videos. Yeah. I used to, before school, watch like an hour. MTV had like an hour block of music videos. Yeah. That's my shit. But I I just feel like I can't remember the last time I was like, gotta watch this music video. Ariana Grande is probably Thank You Next. Oh, yeah. That's true. Mm -hmm. I was really the last one before you mentioned that. I was thinking like, maybe bitch better have my money. Oh, yeah. That's because everybody was talking about it. I was like, okay, gotta go watch this video. Yeah, that one was good too. What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen when your voice changes? Just change. <laughs> you gonna be able to stay singing? Yeah. All right, guys. We have a. We don't. We don't do this often, but we gotta. We usually uh, don't do this, but. But uh. Yeah, let's not bring up that it's motherfucker. Like murder, she broke. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're doo, doing. Doo. Uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We are doing part one of a two-parter. And uh, I feel like we've been teasing this since we started the podcast, but we are doing Michael Jackson. Got a light-skinned friend, look like Michael Jackson. Oh, that's oh man. Steph is doing Kanye. Steph is doing my, uh the dark skin Michael Jackson and I'm doing the light skin Michael Jackson. I am. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I am. So um I was thinking this could have a drinking game. What? Every time there's a plastic surgery mentioned, take a shot. Oh shit. <laughs> You'll be fucked up by the end of <laughs> Every time there's a shampoo, take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> I watched so much Michael stuff, it made me all sentimental and sad. Aww. So for my part, I was going to watch This Is It, but that's like the last of yeah, his that, life. that's the so end. So I didn't. I watched um, a documentary called Michael Jackson, Life, Legacy, and Death. Mm-hmm. I watched Martin Basher's awful interview, Living with Michael Jackson, which I couldn't finish. <clears throat> I watched Michael's famous Oprah interview from 1993. 
looked at all the People magazine articles, all yeah. the Wikipedias. All right, cool. I didn't watch the Oprah interview because I figured that was on your half. Yeah, so it's like early. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. I thought we should have watched the Angela Bassett movie, but I didn't have time. I didn't see that ever. You've never seen that? They no, used to it's... play that shit like all day on like Sundays on VH1. It's called oh. it's called Michael Jackson like the it's called the Jacksons, the American Dream or something. Oh man, I used to watch the Temptation VH1 movie all the time. Oh yeah, that one's it good. It was always playing. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember who played Joe Jackson. I think it was like Lawrence Fishburne or something oh, like that. Oh shit. Did you just see Lawrence Fishburne filed for divorce? <gasps> what? From his wife of like 23 years damn that's crazy mm-hmm. i know and i never think of him it's weird that you brought oh him up. oh my god uh yeah. my dad my dad met Lawrence fishburne in a korean spa one time <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell that story if we uh, like maybe an afternoon delight <laughs> all right guys michael joseph jackson was born on august 29th 1958 in gary indiana mm-hmm his it's father? weird that he was born in the 50s, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. he just seems like some of, of a different time. Like, yeah, 70s. Yeah. And I feel like he was born in like 1970. Yeah, right. And then he <laughs> immediately started singing and shit. <laughs> just out the womb. Yep. Jumbo. Jumbo. <laughs> as soon as he came out the womb, spinning. <laughs> came through spinning. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. All right. His father, Joseph Walter, a.k.a. Joe Jackson, was a steel worker at U.S. Steel. Joe was a boxer in his youth, and he also performed guitar with an R&B band, The Falcons, in small paying gigs. Dude, he was this. Okay, this is like neither here nor there, but a factory worker used to be able to support nine children. Yeah. Fucking nine or however many. Barely, but still, you know. But still, no, those jobs don't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's bullshit. His mother, uh, Catherine Esther Jackson, was primarily a homemaker, but she also worked part-time at Sears to supplement their family's income. Ooh, I like that name, Esther. Me too. It's pretty. <laughs> Esther's Kitchen. Shout out Esther's Kitchen in Vegas. <laughs> that restaurant is good. <laughs> Hell yeah. Pasta game on point. Um, They were Jehovah's Witness, and Michael was the eighth of their ten children. Mm-hmm. His other siblings were three sisters, including Rebby, Latoya, and Janet. And five brothers, Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, Marlon, and Randy. They were a working class African American family, and Michael's childhood home only had two bedrooms. So, damn, how many bathrooms? Imagine. Probably one. Half, yeah, half, half, one. half a bath. Yeah. yeah. And so they were probably like sharing beds, huh? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Definitely. His dad organized a family band with the older brothers who seemed really interested in music and in who he saw talent. Mm hmm. And then in 1964, while Michael was seven years old, Michael and Marlon joined their brother's band, which at the time only had Jackie Tito and Jermaine. At first, Michael and Marlon played backup conga and tambourine. But then in 1965, Michael began sharing lead vocals with Jermaine, and they changed their name to the Jackson Five. Ooh, I bet Jermaine was salty. (laughs) Hell yeah. There's rumors they have like a, a lifelong rivalry. Yeah, and I saw something in... A later thing where Michael talks about Marlon. I think Michael and Marlon are really close. Yeah, because they're the closest in age, I think. Yeah. Oh. And I like as an adult, like I only like the Martin Basher interview. He talks about Marlon. And then mm-hmm. other things I saw, he kept saying my Mar- my brother Marlon has been so great to me. So I think like they were like the ones who were like, yeah, hella close. All right. So the Jackson five were winning 
local talent shows doing covers of The Temptation when they first started out. Mm-hmm. Then they went on tour in the Midwest from 1966 to 1968. So Michael's now eight and then through 10 years mm-hmm. old. They performed in black clubs as opening acts for such groups as the OJs, wow. Gladys Knight, and Etta James. <sighs> wow. Imagine you went to one of those shows. Like, no. Oh, no. That's amazing. You viewed history. Yeah. They would also play at cocktail lounges and strip clubs, high school dances, and basically any place that they could land the paying gig. Wow. Imagine your prom is uh, the Jackson (laughs) Jackson (laughs) 5. That's fucking sick. It's Michael. You you slow down so that I like that one song, but it's dumb that it's about a rat. The one where he's like, Ben, something, 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 something. Yeah, that's his solo. (laughs) They won an amateur night at the Apollo Theater in Harlem in 1967. Damn. Yeah, they were fucking, like, really good straight from the gecko. Michael said during these tours, he would share rooms with his older brothers, and he often overheard them Mm. several nights having sex with women. Ew. He was just a little baby. Yeah, he's a little-ass baby. And he said that the girls would come into the room and be like, is that little Michael? Is that little Michael? And he could hear them. And he would just, like, turn around and, like, be all scared. But Loki, that that fucked him up. Oh yeah, no, like the for life. whole thing has so much has fucked him up. Yeah, Michael had a strained and turbulent relationship with his father, who often beat his children. Mm-hmm. Joe also allegedly verbally abused Michael and criticized his looks, including his nose. And Michael talks about how Joe would comment on his nose all the time. And mm-hmm. as we know, Michael has issues with his nose. Yeah. Did you um? Did you see anything about Latoya said that she was sexually abused by him? No. Yeah. Really? I, yeah. But she's kind of gone back and forth on it a couple of times. Latoya's interesting, dude. Like, I don't know she, much about her. Right. Is she, she the oldest or? No, she's like the youngest. Rebe, I think, is the oldest. Uh-huh. Uh, Latoya is like one of the younger ones, but she always felt like sort of left out and she was always trying to reach for fame and it never quite like she posed for Playboy and like. Yeah. She's interesting. She might need her own episode. Really? We might be able to get her on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did read that Catherine is supposedly like getting more and more ill. Near death. Yeah, I read that too. And the pups are in her, like she's their guardian, right? Yes. A blanket at least. I don't know if Paris and um, Michael Uh, are Prince or whatever. Are they already over 18? Uh, Paris is. Mm. I think Prince... No, they they both are because Paris is younger. Okay. Yeah. So a blanket. Her and TJ, which is uh, another one of the brothers. Her, her grandchildren. Oh, okay. Michael claims that Joe was physically and emotionally abusive throughout their constant rehearsals. And he would sit in a chair with a belt in his hand, which he would use if they ever fumbled a note or missed a dance step. <sighs> Michael says he would throw them against the wall, hit them with whatever was around. And the Jacksons' practice schedule was like having a full-time seven-day-a-week job. So yeah. basically, this is constant from their dad. Right. That fucking sucks. They're all kids. They're fucking kids. They're really little, especially Michael. Yeah. And Marlon. Yeah. Michael said he and his brothers would try really, really hard to please their dad in practice. And his dad would always tell his brothers, do it like Michael does it. Do it like Michael mm-hmm. does it. So it made him extra nervous. Yeah. And, it, and they were all super nervous and scared of their dad. And imagine Michael says that like he didn't get it 
as bad because he was the example, you know, like because he was good. Yeah, because he was good, but he got it really fucking bad. So imagine know? how like Jermaine got it. Yeah. Fuck. Michael also said that he was always really hurt that his dad wouldn't allow them to call him dad or daddy. They mm-hmm. were forced to call him Joe. And so in that Martin Basher interview, he says, like, I never let my kids call me Michael. My kids mm-hmm. call me daddy or they call me dad. That's cute. I call my parents by their first name. I know you do. That's fucking weird. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was weird. <laughs> I call my mom mommy, which yeah. is like, I guess it's mommy. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's pretty normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you call your dad? Dad or daddy? Ba, boppy. When I was like maybe really little, I used to call my dad daddy, but I think that it's like weird now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, I could never bring myself to try to bring that back. <laughs> I've never called my parents like dad or mom, like mm-hmm. English. Like yeah. That. I've never said it like that. Okay. Michael's mother and Joe, father, and his brothers, Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, and Marlon, have disputed Michael's longstanding allegations of abuse from his father. They do recognize that they would get whipped, but they mm-hmm. say it was more like just discipline that was common at the time rather than abuse. Right. The other brothers also say those whippings helped keep them out of trouble. And Michael also credits his father's strict discipline with being a large role in their success. Because after all, Joe took his very, very poor family and used their talent to turn their lives completely around. That's true. But at what cost, dude? Exactly. I, yeah. I think that Michael, like we were talking about, being the youngest, was the most hurt by having mm-hmm. a fucking full-time job and manager rather than a dad and a childhood. Right. And not yeah. only that, but it was really all on his shoulders from yeah. the time he was like six years old. Absolutely. So, oh, yeah. There's too and, many people depending on him. Right. And I mean, who knows how, like, yes, he did lift up his family, but like, who knows how long the ripple effects of this abuse could possibly last like look now michael's not here anymore what about his kids like yeah you know mm-hmm. that's awful sucks. so the jackson five recorded their first single following this tour with Stilltown records in 1968 before officially signing with motown records in 1969 oh that's like imagine being anywhere else like that's you know <laughs> yeah like that's it that's, that's it you made it yeah critics say michael was showing a range depth and talent more so than his brothers at the time which we all know mm-hmm <laughs> As the saying goes, don't ever let them take the mic away like Mike did to Jermaine. Oh, that's actually I think Gucci made. Oh, that's um, yeah. Let's make that. Let's put that in the description to this episode. R.P. Jermaine. <laughs> Joe relocated the family to Los Angeles to try and keep recording and become famous. And the Jackson Five made number one chart toppers with their first four singles: "I Want You Back," "ABC," "The Love You Save," and "I'll Be There." Which one is your favorite of those? Oh man, I like. I think I want you back. (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah. I like. I want you back, but I like uh, partial the sad songs. I'll be there. Yeah, and Michael's voice is so cute when he sings that one, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The live performances of these singles are really great to watch with their Mm -hmm. funky seventies outfits. Michael hitting every note as a little ass baby. Yeah, the afros, (laughs) the bell bottoms, afros, fucking finger snapping. (laughs) It's so good. Jackson Mania swept the nation and the Jackson 5 were celebrated as black crossover artists because they went from having primarily only black audiences to mm-hmm. the white folk on their side. And they were all clean cut and yep. like the perfect example. White people love that shit. They were described as bubblegum pop, which I think is like perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Michael said in his interview with Martin Busher that even while they made it super, even when they made it super famous, there were a lot of times when all he wanted to do was go outside and play and he couldn't. So he felt very sad. Yeah. Now Michael is 13 years old, going through puberty while being a number <laughs> one artist and in major spotlight. Oh, no. People began to call him Teen Idol, and he was starting to stand out more and more as a solo performer. Michael told Oprah in 1993 that his childhood was so lonely and isolating. He was very self-conscious about his looks growing up in the spotlight, saying that his dissatisfaction with his appearance kept him up at night and gave him nightmares. No way. Because he was super self-conscious and then he'd have to go on stage and perform in front of huge audiences. And he says, like, all I wanted to do was hide, but I couldn't. Oh, God, this is no, this is bad. And then, like, you know, you've got to you got to pose for magazine covers. Yeah. There's like no hiding shit. Yeah. Yeah. And he's sensitive. Like, Michael is a really sensitive guy. He's really in touch with his emotions and. Mm -hmm. You know, like he's not like what I would consider like a like a manly, burly man. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think like he took it really hard. Plus, he suffered from acne. Yeah. And it was like bad. bad, Yeah. And he said he would try to cover his face with makeup and try to avoid looking at himself in the mirror during this time. And then he tells this awful story once about being in an airport in Virginia with his brothers. And this fan coming up to them screaming like, oh, my God, it's the Jackson 5. It's the Jackson 5. Where's Michael? Where's Michael? And then when she turned and saw him, she said, oh, what happened? How dare that stupid bitch? I know. Because at the time he said he had a really bad breakout. So then he said like when that happened, he wanted to just fucking die right then and there. Yeah. Oh, my God. Who is that? Like, who does that? But people people are like. They have no self-awareness. No, they're disgusting. Yeah. And then Michael says that about his acne, his dad would always tell him, oh, you didn't get that from my side of the family. Wow. And he, okay. yeah, okay. like, like just nothing to help, you know? Yeah. Like, you yeah. just make, making shit worse. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, I just don't think my dad realized how bad all the things he said affected me. Mm-hmm. Like, he would just say that shit. And, and that, I think that that's the key. That's how you know that the dude was just cruel. Because, like, the thing about, like, like making them work or whatever like you said like he was trying to lift his family out of poverty but why why this yeah you know why this not has you no purpose yeah Ugh. and i think like we know so much about childcare now i know that this was a different time it really was and like mm-hmm. there's so much that we've learned since then and we put emphasis on like you know like you don't criticize your kids like that right right because we know it's bad maybe at the time like it was not as bad mm-hmm but I think it's still really important to look back and see like how all of this created the issues for Michael that we see later on because it's not his fault. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. One thing I also want to point out is that psychiatrists have said that Michael's tendency to remain childlike and his fascination with childhood while in adulthood are consistent with the effects of mistreatment being endured as a child. But, okay, how come the other brothers aren't like that? I don't know. They were older. They were stronger. Yeah. Some people can take it and some people can't, you know? Mm-hmm. That's why you just don't do it. Because right, right, right. you don't know what you yeah. have. Um, I, I really don't know. Also, like, they... Some of them... Like, how old were, like, Tito and Jermaine? Were they, like, 16, 17? Like, they yeah, still probably. got childhoods. Yeah, that's true. You know, Michael didn't get one. And also, if they fucked up, like... I mean, who whatever. everybody was watching everybody was watching Michael. You yeah, know? like whatever. Who cares? Yeah. The Jackson 5 sales slowed down in 1973 
And then Michael soloed the single Ben, which fucking blew up. Yeah. Then in 1974, Jackson 5 performance of a song, Dancing Machine, while on Soul Train, showcased Michael doing the robot dance, which then led to the robot dance being popular basically from then till infinity. (laughs) (laughs) The only dance I know how to do. (laughs) My fucking cousin, Herman from El Salvador, came another like a few weeks ago and we were like dancing and and he was like doing the robot and then he was like, este es el robot cumbia and he started shaking his little hips. That shit was fucking funny. Um, that's Motown, a good ass song too. Like that, that's crazy that they were able to sort of like come back with the. That's a whole different sound that they had from before. Like yeah, that's from pretty that cool. Pop. Yeah, yeah. Motown's refusal to allow them creative input led to them splitting ways in 1975. Then, so Jackson Five then signed with Epic Records in 1975 and renamed themselves as the Jacksons. Okay. Randy formally joined the band and Jermaine left to stay with Motown and try to make it as a solo artist. Because Jermaine was like married to Barry Gordy's daughter or something, right? Yeah, he so was he couldn't already leave. older. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's I bet he was like looking away like, oh, shit. <laughs> there goes my money. There goes yeah. my paper. <laughs> there goes Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Is that little Michael? <laughs> <laughs> the Jacksons kept touring internationally and Michael became the lead songwriter during this time in their oh, cool. careers. He wrote the hits Shake Your Body Down to the Ground. Oh, that's this, a good ass song too. That is a good ass song. This Place Hotel and Can You Feel It? Can you feel it? I don't like that song actually. <laughs> <laughs> in 1978, Michael starred as the Scarecrow in the musical The Wiz, co-starring Diana Ross. I don't fuck with the Wiz, dude. Nobody does. It was a box office failure. <laughs> but I think it's like a cult. Like people, I think. Yeah, because there's just so many important people in it. Yeah. Diana Ross. I think. Is it Steven Spielberg? No. It's not? Mm-mm. Um, I think that African-Americans fuck with the Wiz. Yeah. Like, yeah. Is, I think it's very special. Yeah, totally. They remember they had, they did the Wiz live. On NBC, I didn't watch that shit. Hmm. I didn't watch that shit either. Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to look at this shit. Yeah, the budget was twenty four million. It made twenty million at the box office. So mm. she was not popping. Okay, and also you got Diana Ross at her fucking peak. Why did you give her that little crusty afro? Like, like make her look popping like she did in her regular life. Seriously, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. All right, so anyways, it was a failure, like we said, but its score was arranged by Quincy Jones, and he and Michael started a working relationship and friendship. Mm -hmm. Jones then agreed to help produce Michael's next solo album. So this is like, good thing he did that shit. Yeah. (laughs) Good thing he did that trash movie, Michael. (laughs) Also, I think this is where he met Diana Ross, and they, like, lifelong friends. No, 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 they met when he was little. Oh, really? Yeah, because there was a lot of, um, Motown tried to spin it like she discovered them. Like, she oh. discovered the Jackson 5. Oh, interesting. Which isn't true, but she did sort of push for them to get signed. Oh, okay. Because they got, re- cool. they got rejected the first time. Hmm. Um, in that Living with Michael Jackson interview, when he goes to that fucking Caesar Pal- Caesar's Palace uh, place and buys all that trashy mm-hmm. Guido mm-hmm. shit, um, Michael's like, or I think Martin Basher asked him, like, do you like to buy jewelry or like, you know, like, because yeah. he spent like a- a millions of dollars in that dumb little store. Yeah. And he's like, no, I don't like jewelry. I'll buy jewelry like 
for a woman I'm seeing. I'll buy jewelry for Elizabeth and Diana because they love jewelry. Yeah. And I was like, damn. <laughs> that is so funny. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I want to be your friend. Michael. Imagine you're Elizabeth Taylor and Michael Jackson is giving you diamonds. Hell yeah. That shit's probably amazing. Dude, you're Elizabeth Taylor. You can get like the most asexual man in the world to buy you jewelry. That's yeah. how bad that bitch was. Yeah, Elizabeth Taylor was a badass bitch. <laughs> All right. So now Michael is 20 years old. He's out here. He balling. Mm-hmm. He's partying at Studio 54 on the fucking regular. Hell yeah. He's starting to get exposed to early hip hop, beatboxing, and breakdancing. And then in 1979, he broke his nose while dancing, and he mm-hmm. had his first rhinoplasty. Hey. Everybody take a shot. <laughs> hey, fun fact. I found out my nose has been broken. Oh, like, I remember. Yeah. A, a couple of months ago. Changed my life. Now I'm like, I can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> I can't you're, breathe out of my left nostril. You're just like Michael. <laughs> so after that first uh, rhinoplasty, he was like, I can't breathe. Yeah. Just like you. So then he went and had a second one with a quickness. Hell yeah. So two, there's his first two nose jobs real quick. And this is when Michael's low-key looking cute. He's really cute, man. It may, uh. his, his little like his little like shrunken tuxedos. Yeah. And like his afro yes. and his and his, his Jerry new Curl. nose. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And he yeah. has like maybe just like the tiniest bit of eyeliner on. Yes, yes. He looks so good. His his skin cleared up. Like I don't yes. know. Yeah. He was looking good. Dude, yeah. okay, the I was telling you, uh, I was telling Steph when we were uh, researching Michael that it was crazy that Crazy Days and Nights doesn't have a whole lot of info on Michael. Uh-huh. But the one thing that he does say, and T Lawyer says, is that in Studio 54, some a whole bunch of guys there while Michael was partying there tried to get him to lose his virginity mm-hmm. with like some of the girls that were partying. Mm-hmm. So they took him, they all like took him to a back room to like party with these girls, but like he chickened out like last minute and then all he could do was like watch other people have sex. Huh. That's interesting. Well, he talked he talks in that Living with Michael Jackson interview about when he lost his virginity to like his first girlfriend and he says that she like told him like I want to come over and like all the stuff she wanted to do to him mm-hmm. like she wanted to have sex with him and Michael's like so mortified. Even just telling the story, he's yeah. like so cripplingly shy about it and like he I just don't think he like developed like through puberty the way right that's exactly it the way like we all did you know like i mean you talk about sex whatever but like he literally like couldn't like he was like childlike yes about it like just shy and like he can't talk about it and he talks about how he was like mortified when that girl was gonna come over well that that girl was tatum o'neill yes tatum o'neill and that was his girlfriend but they didn't actually have sex that time no they didn't right so yeah because he couldn't do it he could he like really couldn't yeah. do it and then tatum o'neill later says like it was just it wasn't gonna happen he's just not yeah he can't yeah which is weird she needs like a long ass episode too she could have yeah. multiple parts but yeah she can <laughs> oh i wish lisa marie would talk more about him may like yep, every- yep. oh my god like i want to know so bad like i know it's not my fucking business but i want to know like yeah I know. because she seems to have been so close to him anyways we'll get to it yeah all right so then michael jackson released his fifth solo album in 1979 entitled off the wall this is my favorite michael jackson album oh my god me it was low-key probably the only one i would like that i i love because the other one because the other ones have like good songs on them but like this is the one that i love with my heart and my soul 
I, thriller is good from beginning to end there's no bad song on tr- thriller that shit's crazy to me it's just off the wall it's just more my style it's more it's disco like disco-y yeah yeah okay so off the wall was produced by michael and quincy jones the album established michael straight up as a mm-hmm. solo performer and transitioned him from bubblegum baby pop star to adult star the album went straight to number one and he collaborated with a few of his brothers on it rod temperton stevie wonder and paul mccartney off the Wall was the first album to ever generate four top 10 hits in the U.S., including Off the Wall, She's Out of My Life, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, and Rock With You. Hell yeah. It sold over 20 million copies worldwide. He won three American Music Awards, one Billboard Award, and Grammy Award for Best R&B Vocal Performance. Wow. Despite the commercial success, Michael thought that this album was going to be bigger than it was, and he was hungry for more success. That's crazy. Like, you have this huge-ass success, and you're like, what uh, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> One Grammy. What the hell? <laughs> Don't Stop Till You Get Enough is the fucking best music video ever of Michael just dancing in front of a first-generation mm-hmm. green screen. Yep, yep. And his little tight tuxedo. Yeah. Yep. He looks so cute. <laughs> and it's, like, so cute because it's so, like, like you know it's not choreographed. Like, he just got in front right. of the green right. screen, and he's dancing, and there's, it's there's so no, fucking good. There's no gimmicks. There's nothing. No. It's just, like, Him yeah. singing and dancing his song. Mm-hmm. There should be more videos like that. There should be more videos like uh, D'Angelo, How Does It Feel? It's just oh, somebody getting yeah. head. It's like straight up getting hit. <laughs> oh, my God. The album's success also led to the 10-year partnership of Michael and Quincy Jones. From 1981 to 1983, Michael began recording with Queen frontman Freddie Mercury, including the song State of Shock, Victory, and There Must Be More to Life Than This. They were intended to come out as an album of duets. Duets. I like that. Is that how you say it in French? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Freddie and Michael didn't get along. Freddie didn't like that Michael was weird and he brought like a llama to the studio and Michael didn't like that Freddie was a drug user. <laughs> Sounds like a match made in heaven. They should have like they should have merged those two things together. <laughs> Make your llama do coke. So peanut butter and jelly, baby. <laughs> Freddie, what? Why are you, why are you doing that coke, Freddie? <laughs> Then Michael's sixth album was the album to end all albums, Thriller. Yes. It released in late 1982. It won seven Grammys, eight American Music Awards. It was the best-selling album worldwide in 1983. It was the best-selling album of all time in the United States. Woo! I don't know if it still holds that record. I doubt it. I think it it always like um, switches up with Eagles' greatest hits. Oh, okay. Which, that's cheating. That's a greatest hits album. Yeah, that ain't real. Yeah. Thriller topped the Billboard chart for 37 weeks and was top 10 for 80 consecutive weeks. Wow. It was the first album to have seven top 10 singles, including Billie Jean, Beat It, Wanna Be Started Something, mm-hmm. and Thriller. Thriller was certified platinum for 110 million sales worldwide. Jesus. No way. <laughs> Thriller and Thriller won Jackson and Quincy Jones Producer of the Year Awards at the Grammys in 1983 and Album of the Year. You know what's wild to me now that you're saying that album sold 110 million records? How how many did the Eagles sell then? And like how many take pull an average person off the street who can name an Eagle song besides Hotel California and like maybe like two or three more? No, you know, like nobody. Meanwhile, yeah. like somebody could take an average person off the street. They could probably name like three songs off a of Thriller alone. At least three. Yeah. You know? 
That's crazy. Who is out there buying the Eagles records? Hmm. <laughs> Dentist. I just, I just keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Right <laughs> In addition, Michael's music video for Thriller made history. It was a 14-minute short zombie movie directed by John Landis. Vince's Pri- Vincent Price's voice is all up in there. Shit is fucking iconic. Yeah. It defined music videos and broke MTV through to the mainstream, mainstream in 1983 because this was still a new thing at the time. People weren't making music videos. Mm-hmm. Much less making like a fucking mini, mini movie. movie. Yeah. He really saw the potential, I think, in music videos before other people did. Mm-hmm. I think because he was just into, he was like into playing like that, you know, like he liked acting. uh, Yeah. Yeah. He liked like having fun for him. It was probably fun. In 2009, Thriller was included in the National Film Registry and it's the only music video to ever be included. Wow. There's got to be. Come on now. No, that can't be the only video. That's it. I mean, some other videos deserve some hype Williams videos in the 90s deserve to be on there. Yeah. That should change the game. (laughs) Michael Jackson had the highest royalty rate in the music industry at this point, making $2 for every album sold, and he was making record-breaking profits. He made a documentary titled The Making of Michael Jackson's Thriller, and that shit sold over Uh uh, 350,000 copies. Yeah, I've seen that. That's good. Yeah. He made dolls that sold at department stores. Everyone started trying to dress and dance like him. It was this national fucking phenomenon. I can't really put into words the magnitude that Thriller was and continues to be for the music industry. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Michael was a performer before we really knew what that was. He made music videos before we really knew what that was. He was a complete artist when that wasn't really a thing. Mm -hmm. He put MTV on the radar. And the New York Times said, in the world of music, there's Michael Jackson and then there's everyone else. True. Yep. At that time. On March 25th, 1983, Michael reunited with his brothers for a taped Jackson 5 performance celebrating Motown records. Because he gives the people what they want. (laughs) (laughs) This gave us the iconic Michael performance of Billie Jean, where he's wearing the black sequin jacket with a single glove and the debut of his signature dance move, the moonwalk. I've been trying to moonwalk all week. (laughs) Cannot do it. Can barely walk forward. <laughs> Same. I can't, I can't can, earth walk. We can, <laughs> me and you are like the worst dancers of all time, and you're trying to moonwalk, <laughs> jumping a few steps there, my dude. Jumping a few steps. You know what I can do? The the floss. What the kids are doing? I can do that shit. <laughs> I'm a choke. Allegedly, Michael only agreed to do the Jackson Five reunion uh, special. If he was going to be allowed a solo performance as well. This perform, Yeah, he's so fucking smart. This performance of him doing Billie Jean's immediately drew comparisons to the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Because everybody knew they were watching history. This was like a huge fucking thing. Mm -hmm. People said everybody understood that night that we watched something extraordinary. And remember back then, it's not like we had like a million channels like we do right now. Hell no. Everybody watched that shit. Everybody watched it. Yeah. Your grandma watched that shit. Yeah. Your parents, families. After Michael did the moonwalk, everybody said he basically became magic at that point. Like, he was superhuman. I bet that if if the things that happened later in his life hadn't happened, like, we'd say... Um, his career was defined before and after the moonwalk. Yeah, seriously. You know? Yeah. 
In November 1983, Michael and his brothers secured a $5 million promotional deal with Pepsi, breaking records for celebrity endorsements. Michael suggested turning his hit song Billie Jean into a little jingle for Pepsi, and this led the public to interconnect his music to Michael to Pepsi and his tour all in one. Yeah. So he was like marketing genius. Yeah, for sure. On January... Which, no, I was going to bring that up in my section, but I think that people seem to forget how smart he was He's at so business smart. and stuff. Yeah. Which, like, that makes it a little hard for me to buy the fucking Peter Pan bullshit. Me too. Because, like, you, you're not making moves like that if you're a child. If you're, like, this innocent, like, I yeah, don't know. Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. I I really liked, I watched part of, like, the making of Thriller, and they show him in the studio with Quincy Jones, and um I think it was John Landis who's telling him, like, I don't want to mess with your song and all this stuff, but, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, Vincent Price is, like, a historically, like, uh, horror film, like, voice. Like, if people mm-hmm. heard that, they would know, like, the vibe we're going for, like, what do you think about having him say a few things? And then Michael didn't know who that was. So he watched like some movies and then he was like, no, let's get this guy on my song. Like he's yeah. so smart. Like he yeah. understands. I don't know. He's just like, cause other people would be like, fuck you. Don't touch my song or whatever. Right. You exactly. Know? Like, they got an and ego the, and shit. And they would be like that old motherfucker from yeah. like 40 years ago. Fuck yeah, that. Who you gives know? a fuck about Vincent Price? Yeah. On January 27th, 1984, while filming a Pepsi commercial, a set of pyrotechnics accidentally lit Michael's afro on fire while in front of a full audience. This caused second-degree burns to his scalp, and Michael was rushed to the hospital. That is so fucking sad. Yeah. He had treatment to hide his scars and had his third rhinoplasty shortly after. Michael's lawyer and a lot of people say that this began michael's use of pain medication which we see then throughout his life yeah. yes like a narcotics issue I, well i'm sure he needed it but well like, he did yeah but i mean there's a, a thing those you get addicted to those yeah <laughs> <laughs> well we did it guys we solved the opioid crisis <laughs> thank you steph you'd be surprised hold <laughs> like on right there when i said that shit that's the thing like those you get addicted to those this is your girl from downey <laughs> <laughs> you've, been spending too much time, you've been spending too much time in Santa Ana. I am. What the fuck? <laughs> All right. Michael and Pepsi settled out of court for this incident for $1.5 million. That's not enough. Uh uh-uh. uh. I don't think he really cared, though. He immediately donated the full amount to the Brotman Medical Center in Col- Culver City where he was treated. I think he didn't know how bad it was. Really? I, I mean, who would have known? Yeah. How how much this would have affected him for the rest of his life. Yeah, you know? for sure. I think also like he had a working relationship with Pepsi. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot to consider. But yeah, it's yeah, definitely true. not enough. That place's burn center is now named after Michael Jackson. My mom My- worked there for a little while. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. All right. Michael then re-signed with Pepsi in the late 80s for a reported $10 million and for financial support for his next world tour. Dude, Pepsi got all the good endorsement deals they had madonna they had beyonce britney. they had britney remember that um one with pink britney and beyonce yeah and david yeah. beckham and, and enrique iglesias yeah. yeah yeah pepsi's awesome anyways yeah they later used like pepsi really started that whole thing with michael and then mm-hmm. they used like look how good we did with michael to bring yeah. in other pop stars like me was talking about 
In May 1984, Michael was recognized for his humanitarian work by President Ronald Reagan and was invited to the White House. He wore the sick-ass red sequin jacket. <laughs> Michael allowed drunk driving campaigns at the time to use his songs for free, and he donated a lot of money to alcohol and drug abuse charities. What drunk driving campaign is appropriate? Like, what song is appropriate to use on a drunk driving campaign? Thriller! <laughs> ben? Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Thriller didn't have an official tour, but Michael went on a world tour in 1984 with his brothers doing both solo and Jackson 5 performances. I bet he was pissed about that shit. I bet he did that. I was going to say, like, I think he just did that to help his brothers out. Yeah, he you know, 100% for sure. did. Yeah. Pressure from his dad, probably. Yeah. From I've the never whole family. Him, I've never heard him talk about that, but, like, that's the only reason I could... Why the fuck is there not a Thriller tour? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why mm -hmm. are we... Pump in the Jackson 5 in 1984. You guys are washed as shit. Yeah, they're still performing fucking dancing machine shit. Yeah, like we're done, bro. The Did they let Jermaine come? <laughs> <laughs> Michael was like, you have your mic back. <laughs> when, what, who was it? Um, the, I always feel like somebody's, somebody's watching me. Who, um, it, that's not one of the Jackson brothers. No, it's not. It's like a cousin or something. Or is it like, like Barry Gordy's son or something. It's Rockwell. Rockwell, right? He's, Who's that? He's, he's like related to them somehow. It was like a favor. He did a favor to somebody. I want to say he's oh, Barry Gordy's son. son. Of, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so funny. He, our, our, uh, our benevolent, problematic fave, Michael Jackson, just throwing a bone to fucking <laughs> his brothers, to Rockwell. Just whoever the fuck. You want to use Billie Jean? Go ahead. <laughs> you don't give a fuck. You know how much money I got. Ronald Reagan, you want to look at this red jacket? <laughs> Nancy Reagan, here's a diamond necklace. Go, <laughs> Go have some fun. Freddie Mercury, you can keep that llama. <laughs> oh. This concert didn't have huge ticket sales, and then Michael announced he'd donate all of his earnings to charity. I don't know if they correlated oh, right. with one another. Yeah. He then co-wrote We Are the World in 1985 with Lionel Richie to aid the poor in Africa. And that song was a fucking bop of the year. <laughs> that song was fucking huge. I I actually don't like that song. I don't either, but it was but, fucking gigantic. But I like the video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the song earned $63 million for famine relief. What? And was one of the best-selling singles of all time, including winning four Grammys. What? Just some little yeah. shit he did probably on a Sunday afternoon with yeah. Lionel Richie. Allegedly, Michael became very interested in the music publishing business once his buddy Paul McCartney told him he earned about $4 million from other people's songs. So Michael began investing into publishing rights into songs that others had written around this time. Mm -hmm. His most famous acquisition were the rights to most of the compositions recorded by the Beatles through ATV Music Publishing. Paul was offered the music catalog for $40 million, and allegedly he asked Yoko Ono to sp split the cost with him. But Yoko thought they... But they didn't have Venmo back then, so they were like... <laughs> she was like... Oh. <laughs> Yoko thought they could negotiate, so she didn't come to an agreement with Paul. Like, I think they couldn't... Like, she thought maybe we could get it for cheaper. Then yeah. they couldn't get it for cheaper. Then she was like, nah, I don't want them. Mm -hmm. And then Paul was like, well, I don't want to be the sole owner of the Beatles song. So he was like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to purchase them. So then yeah. Michael was able to finalize his purchase in on August 10th, 1985. Which, but see, like, I understand why Paul was sort of salty about that. Because let's say, let's say 
I have a boo, right? And like, he's not my boo anymore, but I'm like, I don't want him. I'm not going to be like, you can have him, you know? But Michael says that like his team confirmed that Paul was okay with the purchase. Like he says that lots of times. I don't know if that's just something he's saying now out of his ass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Because then Paul was salty about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously they were going to sell to someone. I just think that Paul was like, damn, dude, like my friend. My friend. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I get it. Like go to somebody else. But and Paul was the one that told him like, hey, I'm making yeah. money on the side doing this shit. And then he was mm-hmm. like, well, let me just buy up your shit then. Right. <laughs> Paul should have like just done it. Why should have just done it? But I get it was it. a lot There's... of money though, especially in like the eighties. Forty million dollars for him to come up with forty million dollars would have been hard as fuck. And he's emotional about it. Yeah, like, it's a whole it's a whole fucking thing. Yeah. Just the emotional part of it, maybe mm-hmm. that. Like, if you're really my friend, like, could you like just step aside from this because mm-hmm. it makes me feel some kind of way, right? In the mid-1980s, Michael's skin began to appear paler, causing a lot of media coverage. People often speculate that Michael bleached his skin. However, according to one of his billion biographies, Michael was diagnosed with vitiligo in 1984 and lupus. While vitiligo partially lightened his skin, the lupus made him sensitive to light. So Michael was naturally becoming a little lighter because he was just avoiding the sun. Mm Mm-hmm. And then allegedly, the treatments for his conditions further lightened his skin, and Michael applied a substantial amount of makeup to even out the blotches. Mm-hmm. His appearance changed dramatically throughout this decade, and the skin pigmentation change is really the first huge thing that we saw. The nose kind of crept up on us because I think yeah. the nose was slow, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, fuck. Like, right. You know, when you look back, you're like, oh, shit. When I was little, I was so baffled by his skin me too like, i didn't get it it i was he was so confusing to me i was like how did he how is he white now yeah yeah michael said that he never purposely bleached his skin but used makeup to control his patchy appearance from the vitiligo because remember michael's really self-conscious mm-hmm. but of we his- know that's a lie what like he he did bleach his skin at first to sort of even out the vitiligo Says who? I never saw that. Oh, that's going to come up probably in my in my section. Okay. Of his vitiligo, Michael said, it's something I can't help when people make up stories. I don't want to be who I... When people make up stories that I don't want to be who I am, it hurts me. And it's a problem for me because it's not something that I control. Um. So for what it's worth, Michael was diagnosed with vitiligo in his autopsy, but not lupus. Mm-hmm. And then I guess May has some more tea on that. Yeah. Around this time, Michael also had that weird dimple created. (laughs) (laughs) The John Travolta. (laughs) And he lost a lot of weight due to his desire for a dancer's body. Mm -hmm. People often say that Michael was dizzy all the time. He was spinning all the time. (laughs) He'd be spinning. (laughs) He had vertigo. Vertigo and vitiligo. <laughs> that was the next. That was the name of his uh, his mixtape. That didn't drop. Bro. People speculated about whether or not he suffered from eating disorders, and weight loss is something that he like. You see him like gain and lose weight later in life mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Michael denied a lot of his other plastic surgery and said people shouldn't believe that kind of stupidity in the media. Michael blames the media a lot for a yeah. lot of stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he also, like, planted a lot of stories. Yep, that comes out right now. (laughs) So, in the mid-80s, Michael also became the subject of crazy sensational reports. 
1986, stories came out that he slept in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber to slow the aging process. <laughs> Allegedly, Michael disseminated the story himself, although it was untrue. He then purchased a chimpanzee named Bubbles from a laboratory, and the media started saying he was detached from reality. Again, Michael kind of like edged, he kind of like egged it on. Like he yeah. didn't plant that one, but he like egged it on. Right. Reports then came out that he tried to purchase the bones of the elephant man, and Michael wouldn't deny it in the press. He saw all this as an opportunity for publicity. He was of that old school, um, no press is bad press, all press is good press. Yeah, that's the Ball brother uh, form of publicity. Yeah. Yep. publicity also i hate that shit dude i saw um a couple years ago i saw a thing on tv that was about bubbles it was like bubbles a chimp where is he now where and is he now it's true he's like he's like at a sanctuary somewhere oh that's it's cool. crazy it's crazy he outlived michael but he the, they got latoya to be on it and she went to visit him <laughs> <laughs> and she was like talking to him and she was like bubbles i missed you I know, I know that Michael's looking down on you and shit. Latoya will do anything. Let's call Latoya, dude. Yeah, let's do it. Anybody have her number? <laughs> it was just like it was a slippery slope, though. Like, Michael didn't see... I, like, how could he know that it was going to lead to what it led to, right? Yes. Because as they started popping off, Michael stopped leaking, like, new stories. But the press then just started making shit up. Right. And they nicknamed him Wacko Jacko. And it was also an era where you could still, like, if you were a powerful publicist or something, you could maybe control Stop sort of. Shit. Yes. Yeah. Whereas, like, I think that as time went on, and obviously now you can't, you can't control that shit. But no, whatever's out there is out there. And that's that. right. Yeah. I think that maybe he was still under the impression that he could sort of control the media in some way. Yeah. In 1986, Michael made Captain EO for Disneyland with George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola. Hey, did we get to see that at some point? I've right? seen it lots of yeah, times. Yeah, no, but I mean when they brought it back. Yeah, I've seen it when they brought it back. I think we saw it with yeah, Tiff. We saw, yeah, we saw it, right? Yeah. The $30 million attraction played well into the 1990s all the way up until 1998. And then following Michael's death, it's now return at Disneyland. Although I don't know if it's still there. I don't think it's still there. Oh, okay. That shit's sick. They should yeah, keep it. Because cool. the one they replaced it with was fucking dumb. It was like for kids and shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you don't really want Michael Jackson and kids. I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's inappropriate. After a five-year hiatus... Michael came back out with his next solo album, Bad. Mm -hmm. Who's, who's bad? There were nine singles, including seven chart toppers, Bad, I Can't Stop Loving You, The Way You Make Me Feel, Man in the Mirror, and Dirty Diana. I don't like, this is when I'm like really against his look. Like he has that the like, leather jacket and the jerry curl. That, that long jerry curl mullet. I don't like that. And yeah, like a v, I don't white like v-neck shirt, shirts. Somebody was saying in one of the biographies I watched, I don't remember. It was somebody from Rolling Stone that was saying, like, I remember when the song Bad came out on the radio and I was like, oh, because, you know, he tries to change his style every mm -hmm. album. And she was like, oh, you know, like I was like, oh, how's he going to pull this off? Like Michael Jackson trying to be bad. Yeah. But yeah. then the music video came out and like he gives it his all like his performance <laughs> is so fucking good. And she was like, oh, no, he could do this. <laughs> <laughs> he could he could fight Wesley Snipes. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. This is also like he's a. Oh, I don't want to interrupt the fun fact. Never mind. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was saying that he, the songs are a little more sexual too for the yeah. first time. Like yeah, dirty Diana. I like that song that's, a lot. That's a, yeah, that's a jam. That's a bop. Yeah. 
All right, fun fact. Bloop. Bad was originally written to be a duet. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to just say regular and then I fucked up. <laughs> a duet with Prince. Ooh. Uh, but Prince backed out because he said, it, that shit is not fair for me to star in a music video doing a dance off with Michael Jackson. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> the world was deprived of something there. I know. Meanwhile, Prince did probably that same year do a duet with Madonna, which is her worst song. <laughs> <laughs> like, the world did not need that. <laughs> the album Bad sold 45 million copies worldwide, and he won basically everything all over again. It was best-selling album worldwide in 1987 and 1988. He went on a Bad World tour on September 12, 1988, and finished January 14, 1989. Damn. So he was on tour for a long-ass time. He was gone. Jackson broke a Guinness World Record when 500,000 people attended seven sold-out shows at Wembley Stadium. Whoa. Michael gave Princess Diana and Prince Charles 300 pounds for the Princess Trust based on the sales from those shows. And he gave Baby Prince Harry and Baby Prince William custom bad jackets. Wow. I wonder if they still have them. I know, man. I was totally thinking about that. You think Harry showed that to Meghan Markle? Like, look, yeah, <laughs> when she of. gave her the tour of the palace. And yeah. this is my Michael Jackson jacket. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Michael performed a total of 123 concerts while on this tour. Yeah, and that shit was never ending. No, that's way too much. His estimated earnings in 1989 were 125 million. Elizabeth wow. Taylor publicly called him the king of pop. President H.W. Bush designated him as artist of the decade, and he was at the peak of his fame. In March 1988, Michael purchased 2,700 acres of land near Santa Inez, California for $17 million. There, he began to build Neverland Ranch, which included a Ferris wheel, carousel, menagerie, movie theater, zoo, security staff of about 40, etc., etc., etc. Wow. In 2003, this property was valued at over $100 million. The house was a children's paradise intended to allow Michael to enjoy what he believed he missed out in childhood. Hmm. In 1991, Michael renewed his Sony contract for $65 million, a record breaker at the time. He released his eighth album, Dangerous, mm -hmm. that was certified seven times platinum. The singles Black or White and Remember the Time were major keys. Yeah. I like his I like that style, the style that he has on that uh, on that Me album. Too. Remember the time are, is probably my favorite Michael song. Remember the time is probably in my top 5. Yeah. I remember because I we like had Dangerous the uh, a lot too. We had the like um, a VHS of the music video when I was Oh kid. my god, me. And I used to watch it over and over. It's just it, so it good. had a, it had Remember the Time and it also had Black and White, but I would kind of like not watch Black and White. Yeah, me too. Black and Remember the Time is like so fucking yeah. good. Oh my god. I remember in um Remember the Time when he um like drops to gold or whatever, I would get scared. I'd be like, <gasps> "Where did he go?" <laughs> Um, there, do you remember there was like a viral Twitter thread that went viral like um, maybe a year or two ago where somebody was talking about how disrespectful Michael was in like the King's Palace. He was like, <laughs> he was like talking about Eddie Murphy like he's, he's doing that in front of your woman. Like, <laughs> how are you going to turn to dust in my house? <laughs> Dude, Iman, Eddie yeah. Murphy, Magic Johnson. Yes, it's so good. Yeah. Um. Dangerous also has that 
uh, in the closet, which I fucking love. Mm, yeah, Naomi Campbell. Yeah, even though that that video is not that good, it's, they don't have they don't have chemistry. chemistry yeah. yeah. So by this time, Michael was pretty much completely fair skinned, mm-hmm. and the media was really all over this. Like the media is always talking about Michael's skin and his appearance because now he's like flat ironing his hair, mm-hmm. and so he looks more like feminine. Ooh, I'll, I guess this is a, this is a good time to bring this up though. Um, the the tea is he's been wearing a wig since the Pepsi incident. Yeah, that he lost so much of his hair. If yeah. you watch that little video where his where hair lights on, on fire, fire, it's really scary. You it's, see his like scalp yeah. like burn to the core. You know? Yeah, it's so scary. It could have been a lot worse than it was. Like, thank goodness he like he got off relatively easy. Yeah. Around this time, we also see Michael start to wear pretty heavy eyeliner and his nose is pretty thin and sharp angled, which we see pretty much for the rest of his life. It gets mm-hmm. worse, though. Mm-hmm. He's still rocking a jerry curl, though. <laughs> <laughs> a little Just bit. let your soul know. <laughs> In 1992, Michael founded the Heal the World Foundation, which brought underprivileged children to his Neverland ranch to enjoy the property and sent millions of dollars around the world to aid children threatened by war, poverty, and disease. Pepsi donated $1 million towards Michael's foundation. The Dangerous World Tour began in June 1992 and grossed over $100 million. Wow. Michael performed 70 concerts, and he sold the broadcast, the broadcast rights to HBO for $20 million, which is the largest deal for a tour broadcast to date. Wow. Michael, at this time, like many celebrities, tried to bring the public attention and sympathy towards the HIV and AIDS epidemic. He pleaded with the Clinton administration to provide more AIDS charities and research. He traveled to Egypt, and this shit was, like, highly publicized that he was all up in, you know, this is, like, a thing, though. Like, I mean, people are always like, oh, like, Princess Diana did AIDS stuff, and Mm -hmm, Michael mm -hmm. Jackson did AIDS stuff. But to me, it sounds like a lot of people at that time, like, tried to do it you know it was it, it was, was very popular it was very popular though like that yeah. was the thing to do that was Every- the fucking charity to get into yeah everybody loved having their little red ribbons yes. at the oscars and yes. stuff yes like i mean like i know it was like taboo but like, not mm-hmm. in like the celebrity world they seem right. to all be jumping on that fucking train yeah yeah it's i respect the people who are doing it early like in the Me 80s too. that's yeah. different that is different yeah or, like, Diana was, like, holding and touching people when they were, like, saying, like, oh, don't touch them and shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's fucking boss. One unfortunate day in Los Angeles in 1992, Michael's car broke down. Okay, so a man named David Schwartz helped him out and instead of taking money, asked Michael to call his stepson, who was a big fan of his. This stepson became Michael's first accuser, and we're going to refer to him as accuser number one. Mm-hmm. Michael did, and he allowed them to spend time in Neverland Ranch with him even taking the family on trips with him to see some of Michael's show shows mm-hmm. more on this in a bit. In January, 1993, the NFL was looking for a way to boost halftime show audiences, which had been plummeting in the years prior. They reached out to Michael for his universal appeal to perform a show. It was the first Super Bowl halftime performance that grew greater audience than the fucking game itself. <laughs> Then Michael's album sales blew up afterwards and they basically changed Super Bowl halftime shows from there on out. Yeah. The who year- was it like, why did his sales blow up after that? Like who hadn't heard of him at that point? It was like, who's this young ch- chap? 
Or like I'm, maybe I'm, forgot or like didn't couldn't find their album, so they went to go buy it. I don't know. <laughs> but it's true, dude. Every like it's like every time you see a halftime show, except for Katy Perry, her halftime show was trash. <laughs> but most of the time when you see like a halftime show, you're like, fuck, I gotta download this song or listen Ooh, to the song, you know? Bruno Mars did that to me. I Bruno was like, Mars oh, hella hell yeah. did that to me. Yeah. So th- dude, the year before Michael did the halftime show, they aired a fucking special episode of In Living Color. Okay. <laughs> So Michael came in and he changed that shit. <laughs> Sorry, J Lo. <laughs> All right. In 1993, Michael was accused of child sexual abuse by the 13 year old stepson of the guy he met after his car broke down. So, accuser mm-hmm. number one, mm-hmm. and his father, Evan Chandler, who was a dentist and a screenwriter. His most famous screenwriting credit is uh, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. He like co-wrote that or something. That's crazy. Yeah. Evan was like an L.A. dentist who catered to celebrity clientele. Mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher knew him and of him. He was like her dentist. And in her autobiography, she says that Evan could be paid to send an anesthesiologist to administer drugs for his clientele. What? Including morphine. Harry said oh in the 80s, God. she would always come to him for morphine because she was an addict during that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She also comments about the whole thing, but I didn't put it in here. Okay. She's like, she basically said, let me finish it. Okay. Okay. So accuser number one allegedly told his dad, Evan, of the allegations while he was under the influence of anesthesia during a routine dental procedure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At the time, Evan and his ex-wife, June, were in the midst of a custody battle for accuser number one. Mm-hmm. And the dad, Evan, was over $60,000 behind in child support payments. Wow. The Chandler family demanded payment from Michael, which he refused. Accuser number one then went to the police and said that Michael had sexually abused him. However, his mother was adamant that there had never been any wrongdoing. And mm-hmm. she, she refused to cooperate. Mm-hmm. Michael hired private investigations to follow private investigators to follow around their dad, Evan. Mm-hmm. Evan was then recorded discussing his intention to pursue charges and was heard saying, quote, if I go through with this, I win big time. There's no way I lose. I've checked that inside and out. I will get everything I want and he will be destroyed forever. Michael's career will be over. June is going to lose accuser number one. Mm-hmm. She will have no right to see him again, end quote. The phone call took place on July 8th, and then the child allegedly confessed to the abuse on July 16th. Okay. Michael attempted to utilize the recording of the dad to show that his only goal was to extort money. Further, Michael brought forth evidence saying that the dad had been asking Michael to help him with his owed child support and had been asking Michael to help finance some of his screenplays. Mm Mm-hmm. In January 1994, L.A. County D.A. said Evan would not be charged with extortion due to lack of cooperation from Jackson's team and the Jackson team's willingness to negotiate with Evan. Mm -hmm. At this time, Michael began taking medication to deal with the stress of the allegations, allegedly painkillers, Valium, Xanax, and Ativan. Xanax is a painkiller? No. Okay. Xanax is like Ativan. Okay. Anxiety. Okay. By the fall of 1993, it was reported that Michael was dependent on the narcotics. In August 1993, police raided Michael's house and found books 
and photographs in his bedroom featuring young boys with little or no clothing. The the books weren't illegal and they were open for sale within the United States, so he was never indicted for this. Mm -hmm. Accuser number one gave police a description of Michael's genitals and a strip search revealed that he had correctly claimed Apache-colored buttocks, short pubic hair, and pink and brown testicles. Reportedly, he had also drawn accurate pictures of a dark spot on Michael's penis, which was only visible when the penis was lifted. That's the smoking gun, dude. <clears throat> That's really scary. Despite contradicting internal errors with reports of jurors feeling the photos didn't match the description. Jurors? They, so this was... Uh, it was they, going through. They, they took it to the grand jury. Oh, okay. They didn't finish, but they it was yeah, going yeah. through. Uh-huh. The DA stated in a sworn affidavit that he believed the description was accurate. Mm -hmm. And that, that, there's a lot of weight to that. Like an attorney isn't going to lie, especially not a DA. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not unheard of. Yeah, yeah. it's like uh, highly unlikely. Yeah. Michael described the search of his house, the photographs taken of his body, all in an emotional public statement, which was aired on public TV, proclaiming his innocence. Mm -hmm. It's really sad, that video. Yeah. On January 1st, 1994, Michael settled with the Chandler family for a reported $22 million. Later, the settlement documents revealed that the settlement was $15 million. Mm -hmm. Immediately after the settlement, the Chandler family stopped cooperating with the ongoing criminal investigation and stopped talking to the district attorney. A motion filed by Jackson's defense team asserted that Jackson was never criminally indicted and the settlement admitted no wrongdoing and contained no evidence of criminal misconduct. The Chandlers signed the statement without contest. However, their attorney said, quote, nobody bought anybody's silence. Mm -hmm. Allegedly, the settlement was made without Michael's consent. And I think you'll get into that. Uh, no, I don't get into that because in his interview with Diane Sawyer, he says that he told his people, like, whatever it takes to get to finish, like, give him money, like, whatever. Just end it. I thought that in the second round of investigations regarding similar um things Mm -hmm. that michael said because i think that the the da in the second round tried to say like look he settled that one or whatever right away to show like Mm -hmm. a pattern Mm -hmm. and michael came out and said that that settlement wasn't done with his consent that's like my understanding i think that he was just he was saying that like he tried to distance himself from it but not that it wasn't done with his not that it was done without his consent but just like distancing um further distancing himself from having to say like oh i settled because i did it just like he made a he made a pragmatic financial decision with his advisors Hmm. okay janet jackson went on public tv and said quote do you think if michael really did this that the child's parents would accept money and let it all go end quote but you know that latoya also went on tv during this time and said that she had seen payments to other children for at least the last 10 years that her mother showed her the checks and that her mother had been furious with Michael for uh, several years because he was paying off these kids. And Latoya says that her mother was using the F word uh, in regards to Michael. Like Uh she kept saying like, why did, why is he this way? He's a little Mm -hmm. F word. And, like, he needs to leave those little boys alone. This is what LaToya said on TV to Katie Couric. Yeah. But LaToya's a fame whore, too, right? She sure is. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, 
We do, but we do know that those payments happened. Oh, they did happen. They did happen. I don't know about the second one too. I want to listen to what you have because okay. I I don't remember it. Like I don't. I think I was like in school and I was just yeah. Like the thing is like when you get older, or when Michael got older, it's sad because he became kind of like this like media shitstorm rather than like the big musical icon he had mm-hmm. been. Yeah. So like I remember like when I was older, like I would just be like, oh, it's another Michael Jackson shit. Like you know, yeah. Like, yeah, like you don't even like care that much because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like he hasn't made a bop in a while and shit. Exactly, you know? exactly. It sucks. I think it's different. It holds a whole different weight to the people that are older than us, like one yeah. generation older than us because he was different for them. He was yeah. he was a, like a god. Like, yes, he was, like, yes. Fucking magic. He did the right. moonwalk, you know? Yeah. The criminal investigation was found to be inconclusive and no charges were ever filed against Michael. Allegedly, the Department of Children and Family Services investigated Michael in 1993 at the same time, and they also Mm -hmm. couldn't find credible evidence of any abuse or sexual misconduct. Following the settlement, the dad, Evan Chandler, had multiple plastic surgeries to mask his identity as he claimed abuse and harassment from angry Michael Jackson fans. Later on, during Michael's 2005 trial, June... The mom mm-hmm. testified that their son, accuser number one, legally emancipated from his parents and hadn't had any contact with her since the settlement in 1994. That is so sad. So he was like 14. And after this happened, he just never talked to his mom again. Because she she testified that it was because he said that it was because she let it happen. She let the abuse happen. That's crazy. In August 2005... Accuser number one sued his father, Evan, for attempted murder with a barbell and mace (gasps) and obtained a permanent restraining order against his father. No way. I didn't know that because he was close with his dad for a while there. Yeah. From like because the dad got custody. Yeah. For like, I think, 10 years, they were pretty close. Yeah. Accuser number one was called to testify in the 2005 trial, but he fled the United States and threatened legal action against the prosecution to avoid testifying. Mm hmm. The dad, Evan Chandler, committed suicide on November 5th, 2009 by shooting himself in the head four months after Michael's death. So fucking sad. He left no suicide note. So that's basically where I'm going to end off. Yeah, and we're going to do some some overlap at the beginning of next week's episode. It May- should be fun. Yep. May is going to tell you guys the next part of Michael Jackson's story, which is probably worse. <laughs> I think I got the light part. I think I got like the glory. <laughs> yeah, you did. You got some good shit because mine starts off as a shit storm. Oh, no. Well, guys, tune in next week to hear the rest of the Michael Jackson saga. Yeah. Hit us up on Insta and Twitter at Drama Club Pod. On the hotline, 505-539-0556. On our website, dramaclubpod.com. And let us know if you want to hear any specific episodes. New year, new us, baby. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year to all of our friends and listeners. Thank you all for wishing us happy holidays. That was really sweet of you guys. We loved you. We missed you. We back. We back. Bye. Later. However, whatever with your helmet. <laughs>